Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to this episode of Your Wealth. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Well, we're getting very close to the end of 2023 and frankly for investors, it's been pretty extraordinary. If you go back to the predictions of late last year and the certainty that a lot of people had, particularly about the macro environment, but also how markets were going to play out, even though headline numbers coming into the end of the year might be pretty benign, like the performance of the ASX, almost nothing in markets or the economy did what it was supposed to do this year, which is funny and interesting, let's say. So let's talk about the year we've had, why bad news may still be good news, what to expect in 2024. Today, I'm joined by Tamara Stats, Director and ETF Specialist with BlackRock, who are correct me if I'm wrong, still the biggest fund manager in the world. So there's a lot that they're across. Tamara, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Gemma. You are right. That is definitely the case. Uh, pleasure to be here. So let's talk about 2023. It feels like nothing played out the way we expected. My favourite, uh, it's almost a meme now of this, is the Bloomberg uh, front page from October 2022, saying 100% of economists surveyed uh, predict that we will be in recession in the US within 12 months by October 2023. That most certainly had not happened. So 100% of economists were wrong. What do you see as the biggest outcomes of the year? How did you guys see it? Yeah, it's, uh, oh, look, I don't think anyone could have necessarily expected the year to play out um, as it has. And I think you know, you're right. You, you said it in your introduction. I think markets, when you look at the numbers, everything's up. Equities have rallied. S&P 500, amazing. Uh, and even the local market, the ASX 200, you know, solid. Um, it's it's travelled along okay. And in fact, in total return terms uh, at the end of November, it's actually up 5% um, if you account for dividends and so on. So, you know, the numbers look okay, but I would describe it as a market that certainly hasn't felt benign. And that's really, I think, what's characterised 2023. Markets and sentiment has really swung between those recession fears that you spoke about uh, and then kind of growing optimism at times. And, you know, we really saw, I guess, uh, extreme volatility in the rate markets in particular, not so much the equity markets. And, and, and as you know, the performance of some of the equity markets around the world has been buoyant, really, um, even though, like I said, it certainly hasn't felt benign uh, for a lot of this year. So I think, you know, we would characterise it as um, still a lot of uncertainty, certainly between sort of analysts and economists uh, and also for investors. And I think when I look at you know, our three investment themes that we started the year with, which was holding tight our view, um, which at the time was very much not a consensus view, was that the central banks, you know, particularly the Fed, um, but also other developed market central banks would keep interest rates high. Uh, so holding tight was, was, was how we framed it up. That that was a view that we held and we did see the market eventually come closer to us and, and that played out. Generally speaking, 
we felt that that was not necessarily a conducive environment for broad exposures, um, but that you had to be a little bit more nimble and that there were opportunities if you looked hard enough. And I guess, thankfully, one of those opportunities was Japan, and that has worked very well. Um, and we continue to be fairly positive on that particular geography. But also another theme that we held um, into the beginning of the year, and, and we're carrying on into 2024, is this idea of mega forces. Um, and again, I guess in 2023, artificial intelligence being one of those key mega forces um, has certainly been a driver of some of that uh, our performance in the US markets in particular. Yeah, the Magnificent Seven. Mm. So extraordinary that performance. Like it's just been incredible. And you, know, you see companies like NVIDIA printing these incredible revenue numbers, absolutely incredible, beating expectations and then kind of having fairly flat performance in the next couple of days, which means even though they thrashed expectations, obviously expectations were incredibly high. So one of the most surprising aspects I imagine this year for many people was the resilience of the US economy, which has fed into that confusion about what central banks are doing and what they're going to do in the future. How have you guys seen that? Right. So the US economy, you're right, certainly from um, uh, an employment perspective, it it looks pretty strong, um, actually, which has been interesting. But I think one of the really interesting uh, I guess, defining characteristics of what we're calling the new regime is it's structurally different now. And I think the US economy is a great case in point, probably a really big case in point, actually. And that is since the COVID pandemic, there have been 7 million jobs created, basically, well, since the beginning of 2022. But if you look a little bit back before that, there was more than 20 million lost in, in 2020, in fact, 22 million lost in 2020. So we do actually characterise, I guess, the US economy is still climbing out of the COVID hole, really. Um, and we haven't seen all of those workers return. So the participation rate's lower. So that's why you have great employment numbers. There have been, I guess there is a, a bit of a puzzling effect on where all of those workers have gone. I mean, sadly, there's one theory that says it's, uh, you know, due to health and addiction issues. That's one, that's one potential outcome, but there are less workers. So we are still climbing out of the pandemic hole, 7 million jobs created since January, 2022. But that said, I think there's a lot of talk at the moment going into 2024, on, on what growth will look like. And we think it is going to be a slower growth world uh, and including in the US. Yeah, all of those stats are extraordinary. And it does, even though COVID feels like a long time ago, both my parents have COVID at the moment, so <laughs> sometimes not that long ago. And we're still experiencing so much you know, sort of post-COVID hangover, I guess, to an extent. Exactly. No, I, I agree. I agree totally, Gemma. I mean, it's like one of those things that feels like it happened a long time ago, but I think the effects uh, are still being felt um, both on a kind of a human level, but certainly on a, a markets level as well. And then you've referred also to, you know, things being structurally different now and a new regime. Talk us through that. Sure. I, I think the Pre-COVID regime is something we have referred to as the Great Moderation. So that's the several decades period uh, leading up to 2020 of really kind of low and critically stable inflation. And I think stable is probably, you know, of course, there was some key events. So there was the GFC, for example, but in general, it was a... Um, 
a constructive environment structurally uh, for for asset class returns. Now, I think that's fundamentally different now. Um, we spoke about COVID and I think that was one of the catalysts, but I think there are a, a number of other catalysts that means we're now in a world shaped by supply. So we spoke about the workers and the employment um, statistics in the US in particular. And I think, you know, the structurally different regime that we face now is one of slower growth uh, we believe higher rates, um, structurally higher rates, and and that's that that means I guess a different lens that investors have to take to their portfolios, uh, and one where, unfortunately, it won't be the everything goes up market. You will have to be a, a little bit more discerning. Um, it should uh, ideally increase. I guess uh, the value of, of investing skill and certainly ad advice will become more important than ever before. Uh, so, yeah, we think it's certainly a, a different world. And there's also a few mega forces, um, as I touched on earlier, that I think are also shaping that supply-driven world. It's really fascinating when you talk about structurally higher rates and yet markets have responded in a way that is just so not volatile necessarily, but they're just hanging on every word of the Fed. The idea that the Fed is going to cut rates is just back to the races for everybody. And this whole bad news is good news thing, you know, when mm. the outlook is cloudier, we all get excited because it means that rates are going to be cut. And I think your point that rates are going to be structurally higher is really interesting. Uh, as we record, we've had very recent comments from the Fed that have uh, buoyed the markets. How did you guys view that? Yeah, I think that kind of nervousness and caution, you know, we did see um, a lot of people pull money out of the market. So I think you're right. There seems to be this wall of money where the, the bad news is good news or good news is bad news. I mean, there are people looking for opportunities to deploy. That's very clear. And equity markets, I think, by by nature are optimistic. You know, at the end of the day, I always go back to what, what happens when you look at buying an equity. What does it mean to buy an equity? It's actually you are buying a share in a company and you believe in, I guess, you know, the continued development of, of human innovation, really. So I think, you know, going back to what is like fundamentally, what are you doing when you buy a share of a company and when you actually invest in the equity market um, is interesting. And, you know, there certainly is that kind of opportunistic um, and kind of positive in a way um, sense that well, I guess I'm describing it as a, a positive reason or any reason um, to be positive is always welcome for equity markets. And we see, well, we've seen that a lot, particularly in the US um, and as recently as overnight uh, after the FOMC meeting. But yes, uh, just to go back to your original question, we did see a lot of investors um, over the course of the last couple of years move into more defensive products. So, for example, cash and cash-like ETFs um, have been incredibly popular, both globally as well as locally, as well as, I guess, short-end uh, fixed income. So the very short end of the US Treasury curve has been very popular indeed, and, and also um, things like investment grade credit as well. That is quite interesting. So even though equity markets are bullish on pretty much anything they can get their hands on, you know, mm. the investors that you see are making less bullish bets, let's say, if they're looking for defensive assets at this point in time. 
Yeah, I think certainly when we look at the flows in ETFs, so exchange-traded funds listed on exchange, one of the benefits of working in, in, in this industry is that we do get a lot of data. And when I look at the global flows over the course of 2023, we've seen, I guess, the the, the flows reflect the sentiment in the market. So, for example, uh, the first half of the year was really characterised by fixed income flows. In fact, fixed income flows, inflows, dwarfed equity flows two to one. Um, so by fixed income, uh, I'm referring to bond ETFs. And, and of course, there's a lot of different types of bond ETFs, but, uh, but cash, investment grade credit, um, you know, very popular. Uh, but also things like high yields as well um, have, have become popular as people have searched for income in their portfolios. But then when I look at something like the second half of the year, we've sort of seen equity flows catch up a little bit, still dwarfed overall when you look at the whole year. But I think given the performance of markets such as the S&P 500 and that desire, I guess, to be involved in, in that rally um, has led people to allocate more into equities. And I think with things like artificial intelligence and some of those technology names really driving that performance, um, it, it's hard to be underweight right, equities. So I think, again, that sort of um, any reason to, to be positive. And we think clearly artificial intelligence is, is a great investment theme and it's certainly one of our mega forces that we're watching really, really closely. That is really, really interesting. And you do wonder with the fixed income component, we've seen something very similar, uh, mm-hmm. that investors finally get a return on their defensive assets. For so long they got nothing and mm-hmm. it just didn't feel like a viable investment option, to be frank. A lot of people are like, look, I keep money in cash for liquidity purposes, but it's not an investment and nor is any kind of uh, bond or fixed income exposure for a lot of them. So uh, seeing that sort of flow back into fixed income investments sort of I imagine has a lot of drivers, not just the desire to be defensive, but the fact that you can actually get a return then. Exactly. There's, there has been income. You, know, you, you said it exactly. Income has been very popular, um, particularly as the cost of living uh, has, has been um, more challenged. I guess. Yeah. Also, I think just for retirees, so many of them were forced up the risk curve as rates fell and they, you know, they never wanted to take equities like risk for, you know, 90% of their portfolio. They're happy for 30% of their portfolio. So they're kind of, you know, they're grateful to have an opportunity to shift back to what would be considered more of a balanced portfolio than they, they were kind of forced into during that zero interest rate period. To talk about 2024, yeah. forecasting sure. such a dangerous game, such a dangerous game, we, as I said, 100% of economists got it wrong in 2022 leading into 2023. But <laughs> Lucky I'm not an economist. <laughs> um, and, uh, so what do you guys see as the big themes? Yeah, what are the big things for your 2024 outlook? Right. So in terms of 2020-24, we have just released our, our outlook and I think Touching back on the macroeconomic risks, I think it's really prudent for investors and, and they, they're used to it by now. But it, as you said, I think markets are reacting more than they ever have before to what central banks are doing and what central banks are saying. So the macroeconomic uh, risks are incredibly important. And as I mentioned, the structurally higher rate environment um, that we see. And notwithstanding, we, we acknowledge that 
uh, inflation is heading in the right direction, is trending lower, but it is still above central bank target rates. But when we look at macro risk, we're really managing it through a whole of portfolio approach. So we spoke about, I guess, um, the way multi-asset investors are constructing their portfolios. You know, is it looking at their fixed income allocations more closely? Um, we would argue that that's that there's there's probably a strong case for doing that, Gemma. Uh, but also other asset classes. Do you need diversifiers, for example, such as gold, which is an uncorrelated asset class? We find um, so. In general, growth is going to be slower. I think central banks, you know, have you know have had this really tough task. Um, it is starting to work, and we've seen that, uh, particularly you know, as recently as overnight with with the FOMC. And there's some um, some uh, I guess messaging there that has buoyed markets. And, and yeah, that is kind of our number one investment theme. But I th- I think more importantly, when putting it into practice, our second investment theme is is really steering portfolio outcomes. So having your hands on the steering wheel, or or as I like to say being the pilot, not the passenger. Um, It's not a market, we don't, in our view, that uh, will just go up ad infinitum and it's not um, the everything goes up market going forward. It's a more complicated market. So I think being really targeted in your exposures, uh, being nimble um, should really uh, put investors in in better stead, we believe. So, for example, uh, looking at specific geographies, specific sectors, um, and really kind of driving your portfolio and, and having your hands on that steering wheel will be uh, incredibly important, particularly as dispersion in markets um, is, is sort of persists. Um, the third key theme that BlackRock identifies is is harnessing mega forces. And that was similar to our 2023 theme as well. Um, Mega forces, by the way, are these uh, structural trends that not not only will affect markets, but we think humanity actually. So they transcend, I guess, traditional business cycles. And we've identified five of those mega forces. So artificial intelligence and and the um, continuing digitalization of the world. That's obviously been a big one this year. It's sort of the dis- digital disruption, if you like. Um, the transition to a lower carbon economy is taking place. Uh, we know that there's money in motion there. Um, the the spend required, I guess, to get to uh, targets and, and the pledges have been made, whether I guess you philosophically agree with it or not, the reality is it is happening. So the transition to a low carbon economy is another mega force that we've identified. Um, a fragmenting world, um, this is a really important one and, and obviously I guess one that we're seeing play out uh, you know, extremely tragically in, in other parts of the world, in Europe and the Middle East right now. But I guess uh, an increasingly complex geopolitical landscape um, we think is, is important for investors to keep in mind. Then our, I think I've gone through three megaforces. Another one is, of course, the ageing demographics. And that's from China to the US to Australia. I think demographics is a key trend that obviously is not changing. And so, you know, what does where does that leave us? It's what do you need in terms of infrastructure? What happens in healthcare markets? 
so that's uh, another mega force. And I think I must be missing one of them. Oh, the future of finance. How could I forget <laughs> the industry that we we both work in, Gemma? So the future of finance, I think, is is really interesting. And we, we obviously saw, uh, you know, pretty severe eruptions, um, SVB Bank and uh, what happened in the, the regional banking crisis in the US, as well as obviously uh, some of the European issues with some of the banks there. Um, so the the future of finance is interesting, I think, as banks um, also grapple with a different interest rate environment. Um, we do think that payment systems, um, non-banks, these types of um, other financial players are, are an interesting space to watch as well. So there are the five mega forces. They're all so fascinating in their own right. <laughs> so I was like, like mm. about future of finance all day that would be so <laughs> interesting and we might do that one time we'd love to cover that because it, one of the questions that I get surprisingly frequently is why does Australia not offer 30-year mortgages like fixed rate mortgages for 30 years right. right we can but you probably don't want to invest in banks anymore right <laughs> like the risk you carry as <laughs> bank when you offer those sorts of products and trying to match your assets to your liabilities very very high as we've seen with regional banks in the US and exactly. I'm not going to suggest that's the only answer to that question but it does feel like one of the more important ones that, um, and it's it's interesting for people to understand just how different the systems are around the world and what's considered normal and what isn't and how those things will evolve over time. It's uh, it's fascinating. Anyway, we will save that for another conversation. But you have sure. mentioned that investors need to be nimble and willing yes. to kind of allocate to specific opportunities and perhaps avoid specific risks as the market mm -hmm. becomes more complex. And I love that thinking. Are you happy to be yeah. a little bit more specific about how you guys are seeing that and what opportunities and implementation yeah. ideas you might suggest? Yeah. No, I think, look, I, I guess, you know, it, without the risk of being, I guess, overly um, uh, specific, because obviously that would be specific to each individual investor, I think uh, the idea around, you know, putting money to work is one that you should have in mind. So, Cash is not necessarily um, the right place to be in our view. So we like specific sectors and we like, you know, being more nimble. So, for example, Japanese equities have been a really interesting case in point. So just, I guess, to remind your listeners, so Japan is one of the world's developed markets, one of the biggest developed markets, yet it remains the last Astrid, I suppose, of negative interest rates today. And this is despite what's happened with interest rates in the rest of the developed world. Um, now, we do believe that with inflation returning to Japan, and there's obviously Governor uh, Ueda has, uh, has had some messaging lately on, you know, potentially the end of yield curve control. Um, I think the reality is uh, there is an opportunity for investors both domestically and foreign um, to invest in that market. And we've seen that. In fact, it's been a very popular trade this year. In fact, it's consensus, but we don't think that the opportunity is over. Um, so there are, I guess, you know, specific pockets of Japan that you could become even more granular into. Uh, so for example, REITs is, is one area. But Japan's really interesting. You know, there's also corporate reforms, tax reforms. So if you're a Japanese company, uh, you kind of will do what the government says. You do not want to be named and shamed, which is, is effectively what the, the policymakers have said. So 
corporations in Japan will have to put money to work, um, not have lazy balance sheets, either return capital to shareholders, um, not have cash drag. So um, we think that the the outlook is very bright in Japan. So that's one example. Um, and, and then just in in general, I think whilst there's potentially that, um, I guess, you know, buoyancy to some degree in markets and, and you know, potentially the soft landing is coming. We haven't seen the catastrophic um, unemployment numbers, um, but growth is slowing. So I do think that defensive styles of investing will still remain um, relatively popular. And we, we would suggest that maybe investors consider things like minimum volatility strategies. So that's a particular style uh, of investing where you kind of limit your downside or your potential drawdowns in um, in certain in certain strategies and also income. I don't think income will ever go out of fashion. Uh, so dividend focused strategies could also be another place to focus your portfolio on. That said, um, again, going back to those mega forces, there are some phenomenal structural changes happening in markets and it's and it's really hard to ignore it. In fact, we would advocate that you don't ignore them and, and, and lean into those opportunities. So those mega forces that are defining um, the future world are opportunities now, not just into the future. So I hope that helps a little bit, Gemma. No, I love those suggestions. I think the macro climate is so complex. You know, we we have seen a regime change and moving from consistently low inflation to zero interest rates to the return of uh, inflation and structurally higher rates has changed so many things for investors. But it's too easy to get scared and be put off by the prospects of investing. And we found a lot of investors have been sitting on the sidelines, you know, very concerned about the outlook, particularly, as I said, when 100% of economists are predicting a recession in the US and then suddenly finding that there are sectors and companies doing insanely well and they've missed those opportunities. So very, very thrilled that you were talking to some of those there for people to to think about. It's still not, it's, it's definitely not an easy market and I think that is basically... Uh, what we've all discovered over the last couple of years. Um, but there are opportunities out there. So depending on your risk profile, um, we're not kind of advocating putting a, a heap of risk on, but, I mean, there are opportunities out there and it's uh, it's just about where you look. It's always true. There are always opportunities out there if you're willing to look and you're willing to put a little bit of risk on the table. Uh Tomorrow, when people are wanting to learn more about BlackRock and the work you're doing and some of the things that you've been talking about, where should they go? Sure. Well, uh, as mentioned, I I sit in the iShares business or the ETF or exchange traded fund issuing business. So we have um, a whole host of educational materials uh, available. Um, Some of it is actually on the NabTrade website, uh, interestingly, but we also have the blackrock.com.au website. If you head to that, um, you should find your way to insights and educational pieces where you can learn about, well, A, what an ETF is, um, if that is of interest, and and B, also we have a lot of macroeconomic commentary, um, big picture thinking. We have a mega forces uh, web portal as well, which some of your listeners might find interesting. I certainly find it fascinating. Um, and that is certainly uh, able to be navigated to from our blackrock.com.au website. Tamara Stats from BlackRock, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Pleasure, Gemma. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Also, as always, we love hearing from you. We get fantastic feedback from you guys. Love your suggestions for future topics and things you want to hear about. And we love getting your questions. So please just email us at yourwealth@nab.com.au. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.